0: Welcome to Pop Curse, Episode Five. Pop Curse is the intersection of all things pop culture. I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey. Our guest today is the legendary Robert England. A Nightmare on Elm Street is my favorite horror movie of all time. I've loved Freddy Krueger since I was a kid. My older brother actually helped me make a Freddy Krueger costume before that was a thing that was even like commercially available. I saw A Nightmare on Elm Street way before I should have with my uh, best friend from childhood, Kean Bentley. Uh, my buddy Case Stravers was another big Freddy Krueger fan. I read Fangoria Magazine, I was up to date on everything that was supposed to happen with the first sequel. I think I've seen every Elm Street installment in the theater, or just about every one of them. Just this year I went to Monsterpalooza in Pasadena and I bought a pair of Freddy's Dead 3D glasses from Freddy's Dead The Final Nightmare. Which I purchased from one of the actors who played one of Freddy's victims in the film. I had a huge crush on Patricia Arquette from A Nightmare on Elm Street 3D Dream Warriors which is my second favorite Elm Street film. One of my best friends as an adult right now, Brian Balchak, is a fellow Freddy fanatic. I think that might be one of the first things we bonded on. Several years ago, I got to visit the set of Freddy vs. Jason. I got my picture taken with Robert England in full Freddy makeup. More importantly, I got to spend the entire day with him, do a really in-depth interview, and even talk about his role as Willie in V, the uh, fifth column Alien with a heart of gold who refused to eat human beings when the visitors came to infiltrate and attack and steal resources from the humans. In the show V, the NBC miniseries of the 80s, V, V, The Final Battle, and the TV series that lasted for about a year, I was literally a card-carrying member of a V fan club, an unofficial V fan club, it was long after the show had been canceled. The novels were no longer being published. The short-lived DC comic book was no longer around, and uh, there were those of us who were still holding down the flame for V. And Robert England, a uh, young Robert England, was a big part of that. So I'm thrilled to have Robert England on Pop Curse. We talk all about his new film, which he shot in Eastern Europe. We talk, of course, about Freddy Krueger, and I got him to tell me the cool old Hollywood story about how he tipped off his pal Mark Hamill about a little movie called Star Wars. Gosh, I I don't even remember what year it was, maybe 2002? Um, I was a reporter for MTV News, and I actually got to spend a day with you in Canada on the set of Freddy vs. Jason um oh up in vancouver
1: in vancouver
0: yeah, yeah. yeah and I...
1: everybody was everybody was dropping by then uh you know gosh we had uh we had the x-men director yeah uh yeah we had everybody dropping by and hanging out and because everything was in town then i mean i remember yeah. taking the elevator downstairs from the hotel and i think it was uh uh patrick stewart uh hugh jackman me and that wonderfully underrated actress Jenna Malone, yes, she was doing a movie up there too, and I remember hitting that, hitting the the lobby one morning, and nobody said a thing to Patrick Stewart, nobody said a thing to me and Hugh Jackman was mobbed, mm-hmm. and uh, it was all little old ladies with gray hair and english accents and I went to the to my uh, to the doorman, waiting for my car to go to location and And he said, I said, I I don't understand this. You know, these are Wolverine fans? And he said, no, 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 they're all little ladies from London. And they've come to see the famous gardens in Vancouver. And they all just saw him last year on the West End starring in Oklahoma. (laughs) Yes, yes. And singing. And he kissed every one of them on the forehead. He signed every single autograph. You know he was such a gentleman, yeah but we saw hate we saw hate Patrick Stewart because we 'd get in the elevator at six in the morning, and Patrick Stewart had already done his yoga, you know had a health food drink, he was like this chipper guy, you know, his skin you had know, the best skin in the world, his skin was shiny and and, and perfect, and and the rest of us are all hung over you know <laughs> six in the morning we got to drive for an hour to the goddamn crystal lake
0: you know <laughs> yeah, and you, you might you might recall that. Uh... You know, originally Doug Ray Scott was cast to play Wolverine, and shooting went over on one of the Mission Impossible movies, and he had he had to drop out. So they they cast Hugh Jackman um, just a couple of weeks before they needed him there. And uh, it was funny because, yeah, he, at the time he was, he'd done Oklahoma and <laughs> a couple of and, Indies yeah, in Australia. Well,
1: I, love, I love Wolverine, and I, I'm also a oh, big yeah. fan of Doug Ray Scott's. But, uh, yeah, it was just so strange. Well, I remember the big scandal was because I'm, you know, I'm in the makeup shop, the best makeup shop, Bill Terizakis, uh, in Canada, and I'm working with his you know prime crew. And this is when the bench is really deep now in Canada because for a while – early you you see the first couple of years of X-Files the Canadian makeup effects were not not quite that great right uh they were a little early Star Trek and then boom they got the, they got a deep bench and uh and and they started Jewish doing brilliant uh effects makeup up there and I was part of that moment of time with 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 Bill Tarazakis. but the big gossip was that they were trying to keep Alan Cummings under under blankets because oh, so nobody could see the
0: Nightcrawler
1: in night makeup. Nightcrawler, yeah. yeah. There was all this paparazzi and all of the pods, and cast guys, and all of the, 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 the sort of uh, fan paparazzi was all staking out the location up there at the studio. And I remember, and, they, and there would be whole two or three days in a row where they'd put Al in the makeup and never use him. Never yeah. use him. He'd sit in his trailer, and he was starting to go crazy, because this was his first time he'd ever worn effects makeup. And apparently Alan was going a little crazy and not getting along with the director particularly. Uh, and, and so they let him bring his dogs in. He got, he, brought his do- he got his dogs, or he bought a dog, or he brought a dog. They let him have it bring his dogs from London. And it, so he was walking the dogs in Nightcrawler makeup somewhere in Vancouver, <laughs> And he had this like weird cloak. They put this cloak on him, you know. I don't think it was the Nightcrawler cloak. It was just some, you know, foul weather cloak they had, you know, for the actors from wardrobe. But I just love. Just imagine somebody, you know, somebody smokes a joint, you know, and they're they're crossing one of the freeways, you know, in South Vancouver, you know, and you know, and you know, and they look up and they see, you know, Nightcrawler walking his fucking dog. Oh, geez.
0: You know, you know, it's interesting. You you mentioned all this because i had actually forgotten, you know course my my uh my memory of that is you know i have a photo of you and i together uh, yeah. where, where you're in the makeup and i i, I trotted out every halloween like clockwork <laughs> but uh posted
1: well, up girl, you know. yeah the yep. girl that worked for bill tarazakis that did my makeup she won an emmy a couple of years later or a cable ace award a couple of years later for that great under uh i uh, guess uh, 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 again underrated spielberg series uh that he did about the alien uh the aliens and it was uh oh god with with with, and it wasn't the it wasn't the recent one the recent one with with noah wiley it was before that i just remember it had that, that that extraordinary sequence in a used car lot where the cia guys were torturing this alien uh, in a in a barber's chair, just an amazing show. And she had she'd worked on that. And she I remember she came down because she stayed with us. She was really a talented girl. I'm trying to think of her last her, her first name is Patricia, but really a talented a uh, uh, makeup effects girl. Anyway, we should I'll answer your questions now. We've got
0: <laughs> Yeah, so go, um, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, and you know I actually just one one last thing on that. I, I actually visited. Uh, the X Men 2 set during that same trip where I came to Freddy vs. Jason. And I remember, it, it's funny, you're talking about how that was Alan Cummings' first experience in effects makeup, which of course you're an old pro. I remember him saying that, uh, you know, it was his idea to put all these uh, tattoos all over Nightcrawler on top of the blue skin. And I remember him saying, I wish I'd never suggested that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's when you sit in that chair for a long time and you begin to see uh... that and you're underneath it and you figure out how to move it how much you need to move to move it and, and, and how much it's going to work when you're doing all that you do come up with ideas and you, or, and let's say that let's say one of the creators of the makeup has you know really treated an ear a cauliflower ear or an elongated ear well you fall in love with that cuz it looks so great you tell them to enhance it a little bit and what you forget is that just means more glue in your <laughs> eardrum you know yeah. more colostomy bag glue all over your you know your ear which is no fun <laughs> and uh, so so you, you learn to shut up after a while, but yeah. Alan was new to it, so so that was his comeuppance.
0: <laughs> yeah, and now and now he knows. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure if you had it to do over again, you're like, couldn't we have just had Freddie just have like maybe one burn scar <laughs> yeah, <laughs> under his yeah. eye,
1: just half just half his face? <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, so yeah, so let's talk about Night World and let's talk about um, Bulgaria and uh, you know the well, whole. Well, you know
1: uh, it, it's interesting. I've, I've worked a lot in in Eastern Europe. Uh, 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 several movies in. Bulgaria. Three. I think I've done three movies in Bulgaria, and I've done uh, a bunch of movies in uh, Romania. And uh, and I was even a bit of a pioneer in Romania. I was there years ago, and I've worked there subsequently. There's a great old Russian studio uh, in Romania, just outside of, of Bucharest. Uh, and it's just amazing. I mean, you know, Soviet-era... Uh, when they had you know a lot of money, and uh, they all the stuntmen were st- all the old uh, Romanian stuntmen were still living on the back forty of the back lot, and they had an old gym out there, and they had the, you know from the trees they had boxing bags, and uh, they had scaffolding up for high falls. Practice and and water stunts, and they really wanted to prove themselves on our movie. These guys almost killed themselves in one of our fight scenes because they were so hungry for work, you know, in Mm -hmm. in a big Western movie. But, yeah, so I've worked there a lot, and I like it. And, you know, it's close to Venice, Italy, and it's close to Greece. So I'm always going, you know, I always hop down to, you know, know, a Greek island or or to Venice with my wife afterwards because it's, you know, it's very easy to get there. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's just, it's always been uh, interesting and and kind of an adventure to work there. This was a producer who I've worked for uh, all over the world. You know, I've worked for him in Spain. I've worked for him in Italy. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, and, and now in uh, Bulgaria. So I, was, I felt in good hands. And I've been a fan of Jason London's for a long time. And when I heard Jason was doing it, uh, that was sort of sealed the deal because, you know, I mean, Dazed and Confused, I think, is a classic American film. Absolutely. And I love, and, and I, I, you know, my agent used to rep him and his brother. So I know their history. And, and, and I felt like I was sort of like in on the discovery of him in his first little wonderful movie that he did with Reese Witherspoon. Where Reese Witherspoon was discovered, uh, and 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 so I, I had that in common with Jason, so that we weren't we had something to, you know it was like a nice icebreaker uh, when we got together uh, in in Bulgaria, and 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 I needed that you know I needed to have this familiar producer and a familiar actor because my director was Chilean. And my DP was Chilean, and they're really talented guys. And I, I got to watch some of their work on the internet. But again, there was that language problem and that, that, that lost in translation thing, which can can go so far, you know. Yeah. Uh, especially with idiom, uh, idiom or idiomatic expressions, and you have to find, you have to know when you're really on the same page, and that that's tricky to do. Uh, and and it doesn't always work, and I've had both success and 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 problems with that. Working in Europe, um, so that was like an attraction. And the other thing that attracted me to it was there's a kind of uh, it's it's kind of a almost I don't want to say leisurely because I don't want I don't want to I don't want to say the word slow, but it's it, it, it it's kind of a relaxed storytelling, and it's and I think now. That the, the best way to describe Night World is it's, it's almost like an occult uh, ghost story. And I think it's almost like, a, in a strange, dark way, it's a, a ghost love story. Because it's this great through line with uh, the character of Jason London's wife uh, and, and, and not being able to deal with his grief at her death. And then she manages to manipulate and finagle uh purgatory, I think. This is what I think it's really about. Mm-hmm. And and try to find him again and he takes this job and she's able to access, you know, him, even though she's dead and, 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 and she's a ghost. And a, a jealous ghost at that—that uh, it, it, it comes out in the plot. But I mean, I'd, I'd like, I like—I think it's really kind of a ghost story, and it was fun for me because, after I came out of the makeup uh, in my mid-fifties, uh, I, I at doing the makeup roles—not just freddie versus—not just Freddy versus Jason, which was the last big Freddy I did in the franchise of eight films but also other ones i've been doing i had done some other makeup roles fan of the opera stephen king movie of course some other stuff and uh and and
0: i, and, I, and, know, and I, I can I, never forget willie the vegetarian alien which was so oh, Willie the vegetarian <laughs> alien but you
1: know just all sorts of strange of And I'd, I'd started working in some really interesting uh low-budget horror i did a film i'm very proud of called behind the mask the rise of leslie vernon uh which is a terrific film with uh uh, Scott Wilson from Walking Dead, and it's the last movie of uh, Zelda Rubenstein. Uh But Scott Wilson is terrific in this movie, and, uh, they're, they're, it, and I'm doing a kind of homage to the late great Donald uh, Pleasance, who I love. Hmm. Kind of doing a, a character like his character from Halloween, and so I was doing all these parts that I had. I'd finally grown into my face. I looked like a kid until I was 40 years old, and now I'm yeah. getting. I was getting a little craggy. You know, all my living was showing in my face. I grew a beard. I had a lot of gray in my beard. And I and I, I had this wonderful, happy accident since I was a genre star anyway. Uh, I fell into these roles of the old doctor and the old professor, you know, and the old scientist or the old poacher. And a lot of these roles are the ones, uh, you know, that uh, – uh, you know, they, they have to tell the plot a lot. They tell the backstory. Mm-hmm. A lot of dialogue, the, 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 and the exposition really, roles. Yeah. I get the exposition parts, but I'm also figuring prominently into the plot. Mm-hmm. And this role in Night World was my sort of first kind of Von Helsing-esque role, even though he's he's contemporary, there's a certain Von Helsing quality to it. Uh, uh, There's another role, a priest role that I'm waiting to see if we get financed for that's kind of a contemporary version of of, of the Pied Piper plot. the Pied Piper of Hamelin plot, and I would play a an anthropologist in that. But my face, I've I sort of turned into this sort of old George C. Scott, Trevor Howard, you know, a little bit of uh, Vincent Price, a little bit of Max von Sydow. I'm an old craggy Scotsman yeah. now, and my my face, the way I've aged, serves this sort of third chapter of my career as a kind of genre uh, a veteran actor playing these roles, and and I never would have been asked to do them had I not done Freddie, had my face not aged the way it had, because I came from a kind of sidekick, best friend comedy tradition. Sure. And uh, so I'm just having this great third act now. It's really fun, and, uh, and kind of, you know, complementing that with a lot of voiceover work. But this was an opportunity to do this kind of, uh, I, again, it's sort of like... Uh, I, I like to call it a fable or a tale, this, uh, the night world. It's kind of, it's kind of a ghost story, uh, uh, and, and it has its occult elements. Uh, you know, the, the group that, that uh, manages the particular house that I used to work in, 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 in uh, Sofia, Bulgaria, they're, they're, they're ancient. They're, they're a society an order an organization that's not unlike the Knights of Templar. You know, they go way back, and they've been doing this forever. And I got drunk once with my wife in London, and we uh, we were lost. We were looking for this really old pub down around where all the journalists hang out, in Fleet Street. And we got lost in an alley and then into a little tiny square, and we literally walked into, this is before the book came out, one of those Da Vinci Code churches. Oh, wow. Those Knights of the Templar. And we knew them. This is before the book came out. We knew then there was something strange and ancient and weird and lots of of Mary Magdalene stuff and and War of the Roses stuff and lots of strange imagery. And 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 and, and, and that's I kind of love that stuff and then I got a little funny uh guest cottage, a little casita in santa fe new mexico and every once in a while when we're exploring in new mexico we will find a little tiny church the size of an outhouse and these were all built by the Penitente, which were this group of latin spanish even sometimes jewish conquistadors that came over you know back in uh... in in the eighteenth century to you know the american southwest you know uh... the conquistadors and the explorers and they had this sort of like You know, uh, pigeon hybrid Latin mass that they performed. And I've seen these places, and I'll see a strange kid in a pair of Walmart Levi's and an old, you know, Pendleton flannel shirt, you know, every once in a while in front of one of these buildings uh, you know, speaking this almost sounds like it's in tongues, but it's oral tradition and they've kept it alive and they protect these places. So I know this stuff is real. So it's easy to hook into that fantasy and defend it, you know, when you're acting in that stuff, you know, and, uh, and, and I just, I like that. I like that slight occult edge to the piece. And then you've got a kind of, Traditional revenge ghost story going on, and then you've got Jason, who's fish out of water. You know, which is always fun. Uh, you know, it's it's not a slam bam thank you ma'am horror movie, uh, and there's not a lot of jump cuts and stuff like that. But it it it, it it's got a nice uneasiness almost from the get go, which I like. There's an uneasiness to it, and uh, so I, I I think fans of ghost stories that this will be a film that they'll put in their, in their you know, collective consciousness.
0: And for me personally, ghost yeah. stories and the occult, uh, you know, and religious undertones, all that stuff checks all, the, all my boxes. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, yeah. and that's the stuff I'm always interested in. You know? yeah. yeah,
1: this one's just a little different. The idea that, that throughout the world there are seven doors, siete puertas seven dollars to purgatory all over the world. I mean, maybe there's one in Argentina, maybe there's one in, in Seattle, you know, and, and our particular one is in the ancient crossroads city of Bulgaria. Uh, and, you know, there's some really ancient civilizations uh, that have passed, you know, through Macedonia and through Bulgaria and through that part of the world. Uh, and, and it's funny, I, I, I stayed there, gosh, the first time I stayed there, they put my wife and I in this beautiful hotel. Uh, and we were from a, a, a part of town that hadn't been gentrified yet. And it was a little, uh, you know, just a little bit hinky going out because it just was all dark at night. It wasn't, you know, crime or anything like that. It just was a, They weren't... Stores weren't open at night. The restaurants weren't open around their night. But we were in this beautiful hotel up a side street. But the entire lobby was a... High tech excavation of ancient Bulgaria and the artifacts that they had there, and the pieces of armor, and the recreation of what those soldiers looked like and those kings looked like was just amazing. You know, so I went back there a couple nights on my days off and had a couple of drinks and just sort of imagined that that was sort of what you know, if you kept going under the house, that 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 is the house that has the portal. If you kept going down and down and down, that you'd find you know all that that's that kind of architecture and and those kind of the burial things and then eventually another door. and That's where probably the original door or the original portal was, you know, and it had been built on top of and then sealed and built on top of and sealed over the years. You know, so I kind of like all that. So you can kind of use that. It's just so that it doesn't just, you're not just, you know, pretending You, you can kind of have those images in your mind when you're talking about all that stuff in a movie.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, you you mentioned uh, going back a little bit about this sort of third stage in your career and that kind of Max Van O Christopher Lee. You know, because as you mentioned, you always had a very young face. But I I think, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I always felt like even from the very beginning, you played Freddie uh, much older. Like I always felt oh, yeah, like Freddie was yeah. You I know,
1: Yeah, I played Freddie in his late forties. That's always so how I interpret. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So I played him older, but I also played him as a uh, freddy comes from the imagination of his victims mm. you know i mean in a in a perfect world uh in a perfect world with a big budget uh if i was directing a nightmare movie let's say i had three kids that were going to have nightmares about freddy if, they could all imagine a different freddy i mean he must have a sweater and the sweater should be red and green but one one of the freddies could for instance be wearing a cardigan an old torn cardigan with buttons mm-hmm. and you could see the chest of souls or maybe he has an old soiled t-shirt on underneath the cardigan another the hat could be different one hat could be a fedora one hat could be uh, a baseball hat you know an old awful you know baseball Soiled baseball hat, you know, so that and and, and maybe not all his face is destroyed. Maybe half his face is burned or maybe he has some hair. Maybe he's maybe one side of his head has hair on it. Maybe he's tall and thin. Maybe he's short. Uh, like, you know, like a little thick fire hydrant. I mean, you know, there's lots of ways. You know, there's only certain givens. You know, the claw could be different for each Freddy. So I mean, that's. So I've always played Freddy not as as reality based. Uh, you know, Freddy's on a revenge motif because he was burned alive by the parents of the children he killed. But Freddy, Freddy, as he's imagined in the dreamscape. Uh, in, in, you know, uh, of people's minds. You know, I always played him as a, as an as something out of the the imagination of the victim. Yeah. A kind of compilation of rumor. He's just sort of the sum of all these rumors and campfire tales and whispered, uh, uh, you know, slumber party rumors. You know.
0: And I've always found that type of uh, supernatural and almost you know, theological, mythological stuff like Night World and like the Elm Street films, I've always found that stuff to be way more terrifying because there's so much of the, the unknown and exactly as you said, there's so much of what your own imagination fills in about what terrifies yeah, and, you. Yeah, and,
1: and there's room for all kinds. You know, I mean, a, Night World is almost like, it's, in a strange way, it's almost like a, 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 a Stephen King short story. Uh, and that's not its origin, and I don't think anybody was thinking of it that way. But it—it's uh, almost like uh, a Stephen King short story or ghost story. There's a little bit of H.P. Lovecraft to it too, mm. uh, that I like. Yeah, it—it—and—and it, 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 and it's, you know, again, it's—it's it's, uh, uh, a modest, it's a modest uh, kind of ghost story, but it's got this great. Gimmick, which I which I love, which is the, you know the, the the portal to purgatory, you know, and the what if, and, and we can't let the night world into our world because that will literally unbalance the universe. This separation is so necessary, and there must be people that guard that. There must be people that guard that, and they're not angels. and the, And the people that guard it are mortal. You know, it's mortals guard it. Mortals learned about this, and mortals have to have to deal with it. Um, and it's been around forever I like that too I I just think it's an interesting thing and it's fun you know because I'm doing you know these are the kind of things I do Now I've got one I just finished a movie uh, last year in Winnipeg uh, at the end of the year with uh, Lynn Shea the wonderful Lynn Shea from the Insidious films Mm -hmm. and Lynn and I of course did a, a fun little horror comedy subset film called 2001 Maniacs and Lynn and I go all the way back to the original Nightmare on Elm Street movie She's the Teacher uh, mm. and I love Lynn, and Lynn's a terrific actress, you know, I, you know, Lynn and I, you know, have a couple drinks, and she tells me stories about her off-off Broadway days, you know, back to old Calcutta, and, and, and Patty Smith, and Sam Shepard, and, and Robert Maplethorpe, and she was around for all of that, too, you know, let alone her, 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 she's having a fabulous fourth act now in her career, um, but, but, but Lynn and I did, did recently did a film together, uh, uh, uh you know, called the uh, Midnight Man, and uh, it's that subset horror movie about uh, the games you shouldn't play as a child. But it's it's it, again, I'm the doctor in this. I'm the family doctor, mm-hmm. and it's these roles that I'm getting now, and I'm just so happy. Uh, a guy my age that that uh, you know I, that they, that I'm still welcome into the genre, and that there are you know in the history of cinema and literature, uh, there is these there are these characters uh that I'm really right for uh because you know when I was a young actor I for many years I was the best friend or the sidekick <laughs> right I you know Benvolio you know in Romeo and Juliet when I should have probably been Tybalt uh, uh you know or or, or Mercutio but I was Benvolio, I was Romeo's best friend, and I was best friends for Jan Michael Vincent in the movies, and I was best friends to Peter Strauss in the movies, and I was, you know, the, the, the surrogate son to Henry Fonda in the movies, and I was always playing the sidekick and the pal and the best friend. And they don't really age well, unless you're Walter Brennan, you know, unless you're the old cantankerous guy, uh, they don't really age well, the best friend. Uh, you know, there were the Arthur O'Connell uh, and, and the and the Walter Brennan roles, but that was sort of about it, you know, the old the old sidekicks.
0: And, you know, that reminds me, speaking of, of friends and sidekicks, uh, and something I've never, you know, the couple times I've interviewed you I haven't had an opportunity to ask about. But, of course, there's this uh, Han Solo uh, prequel film coming out, and there's this kind of old Hollywood story floating around um, that you had... Uh, gone into audition for that at one point and that you actually told well, Mark my, Hamill uh, about audition, it right no
1: no here's my audition uh, was for uh, uh, Apocalypse Now hmm. and that's Fred Ruse, so they're all the same people and they all know each other you know yeah. Lucas and and Francis Ford Coppola they're all friends
0: good friends and, yeah and
1: you know Mark Hamill I was Mark was doing a series he he loved MTM and he finally got a series at Mary Todd Moore Studios right down the hill from uh, my bachelor pad in the Hollywood Hills, and uh, and Mark was a a, a, a a great friend and a pal and he turned me on to Lenny Bruce and he turned me on to Monty Python. Oh wow! We would all congregate. Uh, Jan Fisher, my girlfriend, who wrote Lost Boys and we'd all congregate and and drink beer and and call our agents at the end of the day and hang out in my apartment in Studio City and uh and Mark loved it and he was there all the time we loved Mark he was like our son uh, but he was there so much; he was practically a roommate that didn't pay rent. So <laughs> <Well>, I don't <laughs> yeah. wake. I mean, I can't tell you how many mornings I woke up and he was on my couch, and uh, and, and 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 we watched old movies together, and we watched uh, we we played games together, and we go out to movies and screenings. We were always sneaking into screenings or getting invited to screen. And Mark was a really successful television actor at this time. And I was a movie actor, but in those days, I was, I was like, you know, one movie a year, you know, and then on unemployment. So I'd always have a movie coming out, but I went up for Apocalypse Now, and I wanted to, I wanted to read for The Cook, the part that Freddie Forrest played. Mm. Well, now, Freddie Forrest was, in fact, a contract player uh, uh, with Zoyotrope so I wasn't even allowed near that role. But they wanted to see me for The Surfer, and I'm a real surfer. And, of course, I did Big Wednesday for John Milius, and I narrate that movie. So I went in for The Surfer, and I was too old. I think they went with one of the Bottoms brothers. And uh, I wound up uh, being sent across the hall to this George Lucas project, And, uh, they sent me across the hall and they, I think they just took a Polaroid of me or put me on tape for a second, Uh but I could tell I wasn't right. They were looking for an older guy then, for Han Solo. They, I think they'd even been turned down by, by Tom Selleck and, uh, they were looking for somebody older, so that Han Solo was sort of like that uncle, you know, that yeah. you know, the, the yeah. uncle you don't want your kid to hang out with, <laughs> uh, the, your, the uncle that smokes dope or something, you know. He was like the older uncle, and so I was too young, and uh, I left. And when I left, I saw the sides for Luke Skywalker and the description of Luke Skywalker, and I just kind of sounds like Mark. I think I grabbed the sides. I can't remember, but I went home, and Mark was there was Mark watching Mary Tyler Moore. And Bob Newhart at 4.30 in the afternoon, halfway through a six-pack of Heineken. And he got right on the phone. I told him, I said, George Lucas. You know, we both idolized uh, George Lucas. I think American Graffiti was my favorite movie at that time.
0: Mm -hmm. And I said,
1: it's a George Lucas project. Mark, da-da-da-da. And, you know, Mark's a fanboy. Mark is like, even has letters to the editor in Famous Monsters Magazine. So (laughs) Mark got on the horn right away. He got on the phone right away to his agent. And he got an interview. And the rest is history. The rest is history, yeah.
0: Last year, for on Halloween, actually, I published a story about uh, seven great Freddy Krueger musical moments, and it was everything from, of course, Dawkin, which is probably the best known, but also the Fat Boys and Will Smith. Yeah. And, uh, do you have, you know, there's 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 the GIF of you, I think, from the Freddy's Nightmare series with the guitar that's like an internet meme. Do you have a particular, you know, whether it's SOD, whether it's uh, newer things like that flick of the wrist video? Do you have a favorite Freddy musical moment?
1: Well, I mean, I love the way Sod, you know, went into became, you know, some of that migrated into Anthrax. I've yes. always been kind of proud of that, you know. And the Doc guys were great. Here's my story: I was in Tokyo, uh, and there's a famous park in Tokyo where all the young kids do really serious cosplay. Mm-hmm. and you know it's, and there's like a hundred michael jackson's you know and uh and and they and just it's they're, they're really good at it and i went by this place once years ago i was doing a show over there and they were and they were like michael jackson's and 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 they were all guys doing prints but the other person that a lot of guys dressed up at was george the guitar player from Dokken. <laughs> george lynch they love yeah. his look yeah. yeah they love his look and I've always hoped to run into the Docking guys again so that I could share that with them. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's sort of my 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 big story. The other one was when I wrote my book. I think I don't know if I just told you this, but when I wrote my book, I went online to the lyrics page of my book.
0: Uh-huh. And you
1: can do this; you can go on on the internet and look up Freddie Krueger. Type in Freddy Krueger lyrics. It will absolutely blow your mind. Jay Z songs, Eminem songs, obviously Will Smith and the Fat Boys, Little Wayne. Uh, amazing heavy metal references to Freddy Krueger. It's really worth it just to check it out, just to look at it. it will blow your mind how many hundreds of songs have referenced Freddy Krueger. So that's I what it. I'm most proud of. Yeah,
0: I love it. Well, I'm, I'm I'm friends with George Lynch's daughter Mariah, so I'll I'll tell her to pass on yeah, a hello, well, hello her from story, you. tell that story
1: because it it tell her it blew my mind.
0: Ah, it's so great. Thanks so much, Robert. Okay, I appreciate. Bye-bye. it Bye bye. that about does it for this episode of pop curse but before i go robert and i were talking about sod that's the stormtroopers of death to the uninitiated this was a side project started by a couple of the guys from anthrax Scott Ian on guitar, Charlie Benante on drums, both of whom are, of course, still in Anthrax, Danny Lilker, who was the original bass player for Anthrax and went on to be in Nuclear Assault, Brutal Truth, a bunch of crucial metal bands, and a guy named Billy Mulatto, who was a roadie for them at the time. SOD was a band where they came up with this kind of Archie Bunker-style, super right-wing, overzealous, ridiculous character named Sergeant D, uh, who's not... Too unlike, uh, I don't know, maybe the guy who's in the Oval Office right now. Um, at some point, I think Billy Milano sort of taking on this almost pro-wrestler heel type persona in the scene. Uh, somewhere started to blur the line between this kind of character. And Anyway, that's not the point here. The point here is that Stormtroopers of Death, Speak English or Die, is... An awesome, heavy record. Uh, one of the one of the defining records of the whole crossover movement. A big influence on a lot of metal bands, a lot of hardcore bands. that came afterwards, and they had a song called Freddy Krueger. So I'm going to play us out with that song. You can find me on Twitter, at Ryan Downey. On Instagram, at Superhero HQ. You can find Pop Curse on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter as well. Check out the other podcasts in the Pop Curse Podcast Network, which includes Speak & Destroy, Podcast about all things Metallica. Most recent episode features a conversation with Jamie Josta of Hatebreed. And No Prize From God, conversations about belief, unbelief, and everything between. Most recent episode features Max Cavalera, legendary Brazilian metal icon from Soulfly and Sepultura. As always, you guys have been great, and I've been Ryan J. Downing. This is a song called Freddy Krueger by S.O.D.